Thank you, Steve, for just a wonderful time of just being in the Word, really, through song. And that's just wonderful that we can um, sing with joy the truths about God's Word. Uh, that's, it's, it's wonderful just to consider God's Word, but it's wonderful to even sing about it and revel in it and rejoice in it. You're probably aware that uh, for the past couple of years, um, I have been conducting a study into what Christians pursue, and it has been our endeavor to um, understand and uh, assess the various kinds of behaviors and characteristics that are true of um, Christians, of people who are born again. And the purpose of the series is not to fill ourselves with a sense of self-importance or look how holy and righteous we are, but really to be able for us to assess where we are. Are we truly born again? For there's truly no greater issue, no greater question for any person on earth than are we saved? Are we born again? Has God caused us to be born again into His kingdom? And so we want to develop a picture of what a true Christian looks like so that we can assess and match ourselves against it and measure our progress. The new pursuit that I would like for us to consider today, and God willing in the next few weeks, is quite expansive because of its scope and because of the text. It's um, just one chapter, but it has 176 verses. And so you will instantly recognize this, I hope, as Psalm 119. Obviously, we won't go through reading the text all at once today, but we will look at various texts within this psalm. There's so many themes that this psalm talks about. It talks about the authority of God's Word. It, the entire psalm is a meditation on God's Word. If, if you have the New American Standard Bible, you might find that as a little bit of a title in your Bible, which says, A Meditation on the Law. And this is basically, someone is singing a song about God's law. If that doesn't blow your mind, well, I really don't know what will. Someone is singing about God's commands. Someone is singing and taking joy and pleasure, like Steve has been exhorting us this morning. Someone is singing about the law. And in singing, the, the psalmist, we don't know who it is. Some think it's David, some think it's Daniel, some think it's Ezra. Not sure who it is, but that doesn't matter because what he says really is what matters. And he talks about the authority of God's word. He talks about the truth of God's word. He talks about the beauty of God's word. And he talks about delighting in God's word. And those are all various themes that I would like for us to consider in the weeks ahead. But for today, um, we're just looking at, in general, the pursuit of God's word. And under this pursuit, hopefully we will explore some of the themes that have been talked about, but today will just be an introduction. It's going to be a bird's eye view of what it means to pursue the Word of God. What does that look like comes later. For now, we will answer the question, why? Why should I, why should we pursue the Word of God? Why should we engage in this pursuit? Why is this important for us? Someone might say, you know, when the psalmist wrote this psalm, he was talking about the word of God, what it meant for him, which is, you know, the Torah, Moses and 
you know, the, 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 some of the prophets perhaps. So how can we say that one particular psalm in the Old Testament now speaks about the whole word of God? And we know from 1 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed by God. All scripture is inspired by God and all scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, etc., etc. So everything from Genesis to Revelation is scripture, is the word of God, is authored by God. And so even though only a handful of scriptures were available to the psalmist at his time, we can apply the same principles to the entire body of scripture that we have in our time, which is the complete revelation of God. So what is the reason for um, undertaking this pursuit? Why should we um, engage in the pursuit of the word of God? And I've been, I've been really challenged by the text about my own attitude towards scripture. I've been challenged um, in terms of how I treat the scripture, how I understand the scripture, how I, how I look at God's word. And I believe um, th this, this psalm challenges us evangelicals today because of what Christianity has come to mean in our day. I believe we can discern at least six reasons, six purposes, six motivations for engaging in the pursuit of the Word of God. And we'll do this by taking a bird's eye view. So prepare to sort of jump back and forth between 176 verses, not all of them. But we'll look at a few of them, so prepare to jump back and forth between them. I hope you have your Bibles with you, otherwise you can just listen as I read. But also we'll be looking at some other texts which support what the psalmist is saying here in Psalm 119. But before we can get to the text, let's commit this time to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious God and loving Father, your word truly uh, is remarkable. Lord, your word is truly a privilege for us to behold and ponder and consider. And Father, as we enter into the study of your word, speaking about your word, that you would fill our hearts, Lord, with a deep appreciation and respect and awe and reverence for what you have said. And we pray, Lord, that we would meditate upon it. And through our meditation, Lord, you would change us to be more like your son. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Why should we embark on a study of the pursuit of God's word? Let's look at the first reason. Number one, this is the word of God. Just take a moment to say Sila. This is the word of God. We ought to be engaged in the pursuit of God's word because it is the word of God. Do we, do we appreciate the weight of that? Look at verse 1. This is the law of the Lord. Verse 2. These are His testimonies. Verse 3. These are His ways. Verse 4. You have ordained your precepts. Verse 5. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. 
Verse 6, then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. Verse 7, I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. Verse 8, I shall keep your statutes. If there's any, any doubt as to who is the author of this, please banish it because this is all the, the word of God. 176 times, or at least 176 times in this psalm, in every verse, the psalmist refers to your word, your law, your commandments, your precepts, your, 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 it's, it's you. This is not the word of man. This is not the imagination of a, an, an individual thinking as to what might be good about God. This is God's word on God's word. It's the, high authority, it's the highest authority in the universe speaking about the highest authority in the universe. We value the word and treasure it and meditate upon it and make it our consideration. Why? Verse 13. They are all the ordinances of your mouth. The creator of the universe has spoken. The voice that said, let there be light, the voice that commanded and stars appeared and galaxies appeared and universe appeared, that voice is speaking. Can we understand that? that why is that important? Because we owe our existence to this word. We would not exist without this word. Why is he speaking? Consider verse 169. Give me understanding according to your word. Give me understanding. We must engage in the pursuit of the word of our creator because there is no other way to know him. To know him correctly. We must listen and pay attention because if we don't pay attention, we cannot know Him. And He wants us to know Him. He's speaking because He wants us to know Him. He wants us to know Him and understand Him. And understand him. Proverbs 1.7 puts it like this. The fear of the Lord, you can finish it, is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 9.10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is what? Understanding. I don't know how else to say it, so I'm just going to say it like this. You don't get to know God your way. You get to know Him His way. He dictates the method by which we can know Him. We don't construct fanciful ideas about, oh, He might be like this, or I think He's like this. No, no, no. This is how He is. He has spoken. He's told you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. It doesn't creep in somewhere during the process. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, respect and reverence and awe are the starting point. Where do we get this respect and awe and reverence from His Word? If you want to see God, 
If you want to know God, read His Word. Knowledge of God is not achieved by human initiative. It is achieved by God's own initiative. He comes down. We don't go up. We are dependent on His revelation for understanding who He is. We engage in the pursuit of God's word because true understanding is according to His word. Not according to science, not according to culture, not according to philosophy, not according to anything else. Understanding is according to His word. Over and over again in the psalm, you, you come across, according to your word, according to your word. How can, a man, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Sustain me according to your word. Hear my voice according to your loving kindness. Give me understanding according to your word. Deliver me according to your word. Everything. The way God operates is according to his word. His word is the standard by which we live and breathe and have our understanding. Why engage in the pursuit of God's word? Because understanding, just the ability to think, starts with his word. What, is that, what does that really mean? What does that look like? Understanding starts with his word. It means that obedience comes first. Understanding comes next. Obedience produces understanding. Obedience causes understanding. If you're thinking, oh no, first I need to understand, then I'll obey. No, 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 you've got the cart before the horse. Obedience comes first. That is what it means for fear of God to be the beginning of understanding. Look at verse 100. I understand more than the aged. I understand more than the aged. Why? Because I have observed your precepts. If you want to have a mind that thinks right about anything, obedience to God's word is the, is the starting point. Sure, you can, you can be wise in your own eyes. You can be wise in the eyes of the world. But if you want to be wise and understanding in God's eyes, you start. By obeying His word. Live according to His word. Align your life according to His word. This brings us to our second point. We engage in the pursuit of the word of God because this pursuit is evidence of being born again. Jump down to verse 41. Let's, let's develop this idea. Verse 41 May your loving kindnesses also come to me, O Lord, your salvation, and there's that phrase again, according to your word. Let your salvation appear to me, come to me, according to your word. When a person comes to the point where they understand that salvation is not according to their works, not according to their standards, but salvation is according to God's word, you can be pretty sure that something's happening in their heart. If you're basically saying, Lord, if I am to be saved, it has to be by your rules, your standard. That's a, 
that's a good indication of a born-again heart. Why is that a good indication? Because when we are physically born into this world, that is not our natural tendency. When we are physically born in the flesh, sinful flesh, our tendency is to reject God's word. We don't want the truth. The natural desire, instead of being transformed by God's word, is actually to turn it away, to reject it. But ten times the psalmist says in this, in this psalm, teach me. Teach me your statutes. Teach me your ordinances. When you have a person who is asking God, teach me. That is the sign of a person who has been born again. Because as Colossians 3.16 tells us, that the natural mind is alienated and hostile to God. Engaged in wicked deeds. So when you hear someone asking God to teach them according to his word, there's a, a pretty radical transformation happening inside of them. And turn to 1 John 5, uh, 1 to 4, if you can for a sec. Keep your, keep your finger in Psalm 119, but turn to 1 John chapter 5. And I want us to look at something which, which connects being born again to love for the word. 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. This is what he says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Those who have been born again have faith in Jesus, first of all, and love the Father. Now, how do you know that they have faith in Jesus and love the Father? Well, this faith and love is demonstrated by love for the other children of God. Or how do you know if that love for other children is genuine? Well, it's proven by obedience to God's commands. So do you see the connection between being born again and love for God's commands. There's a very direct link. Those who are born again from above will love the word from above. It's pretty simple, really. If I may be so bold as to paraphrase this, authenticity of faith is demonstrated by enthusiasm and passion for the word. If your faith is authentic, you will have an enthusiasm and a passion for the Word of God. For this, this, he's pointing here, there's a visual pointing, this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And it is not merely that we keep His commandments, but that His commands are not burdensome. Authenticity of faith is not merely demonstrated by obedience, it is demonstrated by joyful obedience. I am happy to do this. I I am rejoicing in doing this. If I don't do it, I will not be happy. Our psalmist conveys the same sentiment. Flip back to 119 verse 10. With all my heart I have sought you. Verse 20, my soul is crushed with longing after your ordinances at all times. Verse 31, I cling to your testimonies. 
This is not superficial, tokenistic, I want to impress you kind of obedience. This is obedience that says, you know, I, I just want to do this. I need to do this. I want to do this. Let me do this. Verse 133. Establish my footsteps in your word. And do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. Do you see the desire to be compliant with God's word? To the extent he says, you know, I, I know I'm going to fall, but you, you keep me. You let me be obedient to you. And then there's that verse in verse 11. All of us ought to know this. And we, we, I'm sure we all know it in the King James. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. We don't seek to obey to earn his favor. We seek to obey because he has already shown us his favor. And now we want to respond in gratitude and love. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Not burdensome. That's the key phrase over there. How does Jesus put it? Come all to me who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn for me, from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find the rest for your souls. And here's the parallel. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Obedience to Christ, obedience to God, is easy when you are born again. Yes, there are times that are difficult. Yes, there are certain decisions that we have to make that are difficult. But it is a pleasure to conform every decision of our lives to the commands of God. It is not a problem for us to obey Him. Listen to how the psalmist puts it. We jump around a bit. Verse 129. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul observes them. I see God's testimonies and I say they are wonderful. And because they are wonderful, I want to obey. Verse 143. Trouble and anguish have come upon me, yet your commandments are my delight. Yes, hard times come, but your word is a delight. Verse 148. My eyes anticipate the night watches. Why? That I may meditate on your word. When was the last time that you said, I want to be awake so I can read the word? When was it the time when you look forward to having a late one because you can read the word? Not me. Verse 174, your law is my delight. Verse 330, 345, I think. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes and I shall observe it to the end. Give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. There is joy not only in the meditation and consideration of the word, there is also joy in the doing of the word. James tells us this, and we know it. Putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers 
who delude themselves. Authentic Christians are not just simply enthusiastic about the theory of Christianity. They are enthusiastic about the practice. And that is why we should be actively engaged in the pursuit of the Word of God because it just shows us, it tells us, it proves to ourselves that yes, we have been born again. If ever you doubt your salvation, if ever you are thinking, you know, am I special? You know, does God love me? Well, if you have a heart for the Word, yes. Do the Word. And so we come to the next reason why we ought to be devoted to this pursuit. We ought to be devoted because it applies to all believers, not just few. You know, when we come to Psalm 119 and we see the passion and the enthusiasm and the words with which this psalmist is singing about the law, we get to think, oh, maybe that's just for a few people. That's for the super spiritual guys. That's for, you know, the, uh, the, the, the guys who've, who've gone to the next level. That's for the guys who maybe, you know, uh, they, they just get it more. Therefore, the exceptional believers. No, no, no. This is for believers without exception. It's not skilled theologians who are, who are knowledgeable in Greek and Hebrew who are this passionate about the word. It's not those who are, are, are elders or pastors or deacons or teachers or theologians or good in grammar, etc. No, no. This is characteristic of anyone who is born again. Verse 155, salvation is far from the wicked. Why? For they do not seek your statutes. But on the other hand, verse 166, I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and your commandments. You may not have the eloquence of the psalmist. You'll not be able to construct a song and develop a song like the psalmist. You may not be able to use great words and have fancy you know, ideas about the word and express yourself as eloquently like the psalmist, but you will have a desire for the word like the psalmist. You will have his enthusiasm to, to, to bring yourself under the submission of the word. You will have his enthusiasm to uphold the integrity of this word. You will have his enthusiasm to just let this word be known. You know, the, the challenge of the psalm is again, like I said, it speaks to us about such passion about the Word of God that we think this guy's a freak. I mean, who sings about the law? We're so, the problem with us is we, we seem to be so caught up with grace that the law seems far removed from us. We look at the, at the law and say, oh, that was like 5,000 years ago. It's not relevant to me. As evangelicals, we have somehow allowed a flawed view of grace to decrease and diminish our respect and reverence for the law of God. We, we, you know, it, it becomes so far removed from us that we think it's just for research purposes. You know, it's only the boffins who study this. You know, theology has got an ology. It's about science. You know, bacteriology, immunology. So we, we tend to think, oh, theology, it's not, it's not my bag. Yeah, it's important. 
but it's just not for me. Look at how the psalmist looks at the word. Track with me. Verse 17. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Verse 25. My soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to your word. Verse 40. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me through your righteousness. Verse 77, may your compassion come to me. Why? That I may live. Verse 116, sustain me according to your word. Why? That I may live. 144, your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding. Why? That I may live. The word is not a question of academic interest for the, for the psalmist. It's a question of life and death. He doesn't pursue it just because he's keen. He pursues it so that he can live. Do we have that desperation for the word that if we, if we don't get into it, if it doesn't become a part of us, we won't live? Someone might say, you know, that's how the psalmist feels. And that's fine, that's great. But does it mean that I need to feel that way as well? I mean, just because he thinks that, that he won't live, does it mean that I won't live either? Yes. Yes. Here's why. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It was true for Moses. It was true for Jesus. And if it's true for Jesus, you can be sure it's going to be true for us. We live by the word. We live by the word. And so if this is a matter of life and death, you can be sure that it applies not just to a select few, but to all believers. And this, I think, flows quite naturally into our next point. We must engage in the pursuit of the word because this is how Christians mature. We must engage in the word. We must pursue the word because that is how we as Christians mature. Have a look at verses 98 to 100. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies for they are as ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged because I have observed your precepts. How do Christians mature? What constitutes Christian maturity? I believe that the texts help us to formulate a key principle, and that is, Christian maturity is doctrinal maturity. Christian maturity is doctrinal maturity. It's not how old I am. It's not about how long I've been walking with the Lord for. It's about how much truth do I know about my Savior. We think of doctrine as a, as a bit of a technical word. It's, it's, a, it's a bit of a, oh, I don't know, it's doctrine divides. I'm not comfortable, you know, it's, it's technical. I'm, I'm not that, I'm not wired. I'm, I, I don't have the skill, I don't have the mind for that. 
But doctrine is just another word for truth. If I ask you, what do you believe about God? What, what do you believe is true about God? Do you believe that He's three in one? Do you believe that He loves? That He created the world? Do you believe that He sent His Son to save the world? Do you believe that His Son is Jesus Christ? Do you believe that apart from Jesus Christ that there's no way to the Father? That's truth. That's doctrine. It's simple. But we, when we hear that word, doctrine, it somehow gives us the, the heebie-jeebies and we're like, oh, I don't know. I, I, don't, I feel a bit uncomfortable. My maturity as a Christian is not based on how long I have known God for. It is based on how much truth I know about God. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might, and let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts, boast of this. What should I boast about, Lord? That he understands and knows me that I am the Lord. Christian maturity is not a matter of age or duration. It is a matter of truth. And as Christians, we don't want to remain as children, right? We want to grow up. Why? Because it is God's desire for us to grow up. How do we know it's God's desire for us to grow up? Please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. I want you to see what maturity looks like for a Christian. And this is not just some idea, some fanciful theological Bible college idea. It is God's desire for us. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 12. This is God's desire for us. That we all, not just some of us, that we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Christ is maturity. We're not going to get there. But that doesn't mean we don't want to get there. Christ is maturity. We are made in the image of God. That image is marred and broken and God remakes us in the image of His God. Now, who is the image of God? Christ. And so why does he want to make us in the fullness of Christ? Verse 14, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. That's what maturity looks like. Notice the definition of immaturity. Okay? Notice what it, what it means to be immature. It refers to those who are tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Today it's something, tomorrow it's something else, the day after, I don't know what. It is not simply the young who are tossed, the young in age. You could be 80 years old, 90 years old, and be tossed by every wind of doctrine. Now what's the definition of maturity? Those who, speaking the truth in love, grow up in all aspects 
into him who is the head, even Christ. As Christians, we are to engage actively in the pursuit of God's word because that is how we mature and grow up into Christ. That is, we are, that is why God saves us. The design of our salvation and the purpose of our salvation would be, is so that we would be like Christ. That we don't remain as we are, but that we are transformed into the image of His Son. If we are not pursuing this, we are disobeying God's desire for us. He wants us to grow. And if we are not taking steps to grow, then something's wrong. It never ceases to amaze me how, you know, so many Christians, and I hear this all the time, they're so meticulous about what they eat. No, no, I don't like organic stuff, and, you know, I don't like to wear this, and I don't like to do this. And, but, you know, they're, they're so finicky and fastidious about the things of the world, but they're pretty casual about the things of the world. I mean, it's, 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 it's astonishing how, how much they know about, you know, oh, this is vegan, or this is this or that, and, but, you know, I don't want to vaccinate my kids, or, you know, and, and somehow it takes a religious tinge. But the things of God is absent. Or you, you'd find them believing anything. Yes, anyone can come to, yes, God loves everyone. Yes, any, you can come to God anyway, Jesus, Allah, Krishna, doesn't matter. Are you a child? Or are you mature? Please note, I'm not saying that having convictions about these other things is a bad thing. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that having convictions of the, about these things to the detriment of spiritual things cannot be a good thing. And why is that important? Let me just give you one reason. And that reason is worship. The woman at the well, Lord, you know, we're going to worship on the mountain. No, no, no. God desires those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. If we are not base, basing our lives in truth, we cannot worship. False doctrine is the enemy of worship because false doctrine produces false worship. I mean, you can have all the sentiment and, and emotion, and you can be totally loaded with tears and, and your heart being moved, which is all fine, but if it's not informed by truth, how can you worship? It, it, it just boggles my mind that people are so happy to take their own emotions as the standard of what God accepts. Oh, I was moved, so hey, you know, that must be, must be good. This, this text is a song. It's not a sermon. It's a song. This is doctrine being sung. Hopefully that's what we would have done a few minutes ago when Steve led us. I hope you realize that whatever we're singing, whatever we are rejoicing in, He has made me glad. He has made you glad about what? 
truth, I hope. Just as a side note, as Christians who love and listen to Christian music, can I ask you to be more aware of what you are listening to? Because there's, there's very persuasive music out there, played by very, very talented people. And it's sung in the most beautiful way. And the words can be most persuasive and most emotional and most tugging on your heartstrings. But, are they based in the Word of God? Or is it pretending to be based in the Word of God? Is it using language that is based in the Word of God, but actually... It doesn't mean a thing. I've spoken to people about this and, and, oh, but that song was so meaningful to me. Oh, that song really touched me. But here's the point. Worship is not about you. You are not the subject. I'm sorry to say, but you are not the subject. God is. Did it touch Him? Did He find it meaningful? Was it according to His word? That's what the psalmist is singing throughout the song. According to your word. According to your word. According to your word. He wants to sing. He wants his emotions. He wants his creativity. He's not saying, I don't want to use my emotions. He's not saying, I don't want to use my creativity. He's saying, I want to use everything that I am according to your word. Your word is the standard for how I worship you. And if I deviate from that, then maybe I'm not worshiping correctly. And I do want to worship correctly because you have saved me and I want to come to you and I want to be grateful and I want to be joyful and I want to do it according to your word. How do we do this? How do we grow up in Christ? How do we attain to the full measure of Christ? Look, look at our fifth point. It's pretty simple. Christ is the word. It's not in this text, but it is in other parts of the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being, and the Word became flesh. And it dwelt amongst us. And we beheld His glory. Glory as one of the Father, full of grace and truth. If you want to grow up in Christ, read the Word. Because Christ is the Word made flesh. If you are reading your Bible... You are reading Christ minus skin and bone. Ponder that. The reason why I say this is because I hear Christians everywhere saying, you know, let's not be divided by doctrine. You know, let's be united by Christ. I don't care much for doctrine, but I love Jesus. You know, that sounds really lovely and it sounds quite touching. But you know, you can't know Jesus without the word. Which Jesus? There's a Jesus in Brisbane apparently who claims he's Jesus. Is that Jesus? Every second day we have some lunatic who claims to be the Messiah. Is that Jesus? 
How do you know the real Jesus? Through His Word. We can't know Jesus without knowing the Word. And our desire to know the Word more is basically to desire to know Christ more. What does he do? He's, on the, he's risen. He's on the road to Emmaus. He's talking to two people over there. And what? He begins to explain the scriptures from Moses to the prophets, saying what? It's all about him. It's all about him. It's not about us. It's not about, oh, God wants you to have a wonderful plan for your life. No, no, no. It's about he wants to change you. So that you can worship Him in spirit and in truth. How do you do that? By getting into the Word. Philip said to Him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to me? Come to know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. When we read the Word, we see Christ. And when we see Christ, we see God. How, how precious is that? How how privileged is that? That we can see God. That He speaks to us. That He's actually interested in us. That actually He sent His Son to die for us. That actually He wants us to be with Him. That He's actually preparing a place for us to be with Him. You have a God who is communicating and communicating and communicating since the dawn of time. Let us pursue that word. John 15, 10-11 If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you. Why? Why? Why, Lord, why are you speaking these things to us? So that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's the reason why. I was, I was thinking, you know, why, why do I want to speak about this today? What's my motivation? I, I, I want to glorify the Lord. I want to glorify Christ. I want Christ to be visible and evident in my preaching. But what else? And, and, and my, my motivation is, really, that your joy would be full. And that's why we want to pursue and be engaged in the pursuit of the Word, because it is the only source of joy. It's not one source. It's not one of many. There is no other way. There is no other way to have joy. What's the first verse say of Psalm 119? How blessed, how blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the way of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe His testimonies, who seek Him with all their heart. That blessedness is joy. It's not happiness that is here today and gone tomorrow. It's not happiness that, that depends on circumstance. It's the joy that we've been talking about all morning, the joy that is regardless of circumstance. That it's not that we come and praise God only when we feel good. No, no. We come and praise God because we know He is good. 
regardless of our personal circumstance. And that is meritorious and worthy of praise, regardless of how we're feeling. How blessed are those whose way is blameless. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies. Here's the thing, joy cannot exist without truth. If you are happy without truth, that's not happiness. I mean, are we happy without truth? Is happiness for us divorced from truth? That I cannot pursue the truth and still be happy? Have we deceived ourselves into thinking that? Let's close in verse 160. We'll read two verses actually, 160 and 165. The sum of your word is truth. The sum, the totality, the entirety, the fullness, the everythingness of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. This is not truth that is going to be here today and gone tomorrow. This is truth that is going to last forever. Verse 165. Those who love your law have great peace. Isn't that wonderful? Are you here looking for joy, looking for peace? Well, here it is. Did you ever want, did you ever feel that God doesn't know me, that God is, that God is distant from me, that God is not, is not listening to me? When we were praying this morning, Kevin prayed that we thank you, Lord, that you are with us. Every step of the way, in the good, in the bad, in the dark, in the light, he's with us. How is he with us? He is with us in his word. If you're looking for assurance that God is with you, it's here. I, I, I can't offer you any greater assurance of God's presence than His Word. And so, that was just an introduction on, into why we ought to engage in the pursuit of God's Word. Number one, it's God's word. It's His word. That in and of itself ought to demand our highest reverence and respect. Number two, it's evidence. When we pursue the word of God, it's evidence that He has changed our lives. It's evidence that we have a taste of heaven. Because we taste truth. And we want more of it. And so we pursue the word. And because it's evidence of being born again, it doesn't apply to a few super spiritual people. It applies to everyone who is born of God. All of us have to have that desire for the Word. Excitement about the Word. I'm going to study the Word. Yay! When was the last time you said that? That's how we mature. That's how we grow up into Him who is Christ. 
That's how we are not tossed about. That's how we are not lured into the craftiness and the trickery of those who would actually harm our souls. They may be well-meaning, they may be well-intentioned, but hey, if it's not true, it's not true. And we, we, we pursue the Word because we see our Savior in the Word. He is the Word. He is the Word made flesh, the living Word. If you follow Christ, if you love Christ, love His Word. And this, by this we know, by this we know, that we are His children because we love His commands and His commands are not burdensome. And because they are not burdensome, it is a joy to follow it and just to read it and to understand it and to grow in our knowledge of it. Because when we hear the Word of God speak to us through His Word, we, we have peace. Regardless of the storms, regardless of whatever is happening around, we can be joyful. We can have peace because we have His Word. Can I encourage you to read this psalm this week? Read it. Just, just go through it. 176 verses. It won't take you a lot of time. But just read to, to see the attitude that each one of us ought to have about God's word. Shall we pray? Our gracious God and loving Father, what a joy it is to have your word. What a privilege it is to be known as people of the book. Father God, because our identity really is your word. Faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And Father, we just pray that you would save us through this word, that you would speak to us through this word, that you would challenge us and comfort us and encourage us and give us joy and peace everlasting through this word. Father, we pray that you would just give us just a heart and passion and enthusiasm and keenness to study your word. Not so that we can be built up intellectually, Lord, but so that we would know you. So that we would know the one who has made us and who has called us out of darkness into his most glorious light. And we pray that that would give us joy, that would give us peace, and that would continue to make us more like your son till one day we will see him and having seen him, we will be like him. We ask this in his name and for his glory. Amen.